You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong and welcome to Wednesday. It's the 26th of October and this is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. Chief Executive John Lee reassured investors yesterday that Hong Kong's financial market is running in an orderly and smooth manner as Hong Kong stocks stocks whipsawed their way through another volatile session Tuesday after the Hang Seng Index slumped 6.5% on Monday. Mr. Lee was asked what contributed to Monday's fall, which saw the Hang Seng drop 1,030 points. He said there are many uncertainties in the global economy and many factors that affected the outlook for economies around the world, but Hong Kong had a long-tested system and strong plans for responding to different contingencies. Rishi Sunak has become the UK's third Prime Minister in two months, taking over from former leader Liz Truss, who resigned last week. In his first speech, outside Number 10 Downing Street, he said the UK was facing a profound economic crisis and that he would fix some of Liz Truss's mistakes. In a key appointment, Jeremy Hunt remains as Chancellor of the Exchequer and Mr Hunt is scheduled to set out his economic and medium-term fiscal plan on the 31st of October. US home prices have notched their biggest monthly drop since March 2011. The S&P CoreLogic K-Shiller Index, which tracks home prices in 20 major cities, fell 1.3% in August from July. And U.S. consumer confidence worsened in October as consumers worried about high inflation. The Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index fell to 102.5% in October after reaching a five-month high in September. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Alicia Garcia-Herrero, chief economist for Asia Pacific and the Tixis, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, US stocks closed higher for the third consecutive day, The S&P 500 advanced 1.6%, closing at 3,859. The Dow closed closed, uh, 1.1% higher at 31,837. The Nasdaq Composite jumped 2.3% to 11,199. Shares of Twitter closed 2.5% higher. After CNBC and Bloomberg reported that Elon Musk is intending to close the deal to purchase the social media company on Friday as planned. And Google and Microsoft have been hit by the slowing economy after the closing bell. Alphabet tumbled 6.5% after it reported earnings that missed on revenue and EPS for the second consecutive quarter. Total growth of 6% marked the weakest period of expansion since 2013 and revenue at YouTube declined almost 5%, surprising analysts who had been expecting growth of about 3%. Microsoft surpassed expectations on the top and bottom lines. Total revenue grew 11% year-on-year in the quarter to $50 billion. Net income fell 14% to $17.5 billion. Shares of Microsoft, though, dropped 7% percent in after hours trading because the company reported softer cloud revenue than expected in its fiscal first quarter. 
In Europe, the Stock 600 index jumped 1.4% higher, but in the UK, the FTSE 100 was unchanged. Hong Kong stocks whipsawed their way through another volatile session Tuesday as investors tried to discern future economic policy on the mainland following the leadership reshuffle at the National Congress on Sunday. The Hang Seng at one stage tumbled to the lowest level since April 2009, dropping 1.2% to below 15,000. However, stocks then staged a late morning rally, but those gains evaporated in the afternoon session to leave the Hang Seng down 15 points, or 0.1%, at a new 13.5-year low of 15,166. The index slumped 6.4% on Monday, and for 2022 so far, the Hang Seng is down over 35%, making it the world's worst-performing major market. More than 1.6 trillion US dollars of market value has been wiped out across the Hong Kong markets this year. The tech index jumped 3% higher following a crash of 9.7% on Monday as bargain hunters stepped in to buy beaten down technology shares. But the tech index is still down over 45% year to date. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite gave up gains of 0.8% to close flat at 2,976, with the so-called national team reportedly intervening in the market to buy stocks. HSBC reported adjusted pre-tax profit of $6.5 billion US dollars for the third quarter, compared to $5.4 billion a year earlier. That surpassed analyst estimates. Revenues were up 28% from a year ago, boosted by the global rise in interest rates, and shares of HSBC closed over 5% lower following the earnings release. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled a third of a percent higher at $93.52 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,652 an ounce. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note was down 15 basis points at 4.1%. And UK financial markets have stabilised following the appointment of the new government. The 30-year gilt yield fell to 3.67%, extending Monday's price rise. And the rates had hit 5.17% on the 28th of September after the mini-budget. The US dollar index has fallen to a three-week low. The euro this morning trading at 99.5 cents. Japanese yen is at 148 against the greenback. On Thursday, on Tuesday, the pound hit the highest level since before the mini budget. Sterling surged 1.7% to $1.14.5, and it's right on nine Hong Kong dollars at the moment. The offshore renminbi fell to a new low against the dollar on Tuesday after the PBOC set the trading band for the currency's onshore exchange rate at its weakest level in 14 years. Offshore renminbi, which isn't bound by the trading band, fell to as low as 7.375 per dollar. That's its weakest reading since offshore trading of the currency in Hong Kong began in 2010. And this morning, it's rebounded to 7.32 against the dollar. And Bitcoin, that's also rebounded 4%, regained the $20,000 level. Uh, in Asia-Pacific trading this morning, NASDAQ futures are down over 2% right now following those Google, uh, those Microsoft and Alphabet results. Um, the SX200 in Australia is up about 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, has risen three quarters of a percent. The Cosby more or less flat in South Korea, and it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open flat as well at around about 15,150. <laughs>
Coming up to 8.11, it's Wednesday morning. Welcome back to Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, who's been in the UK, where I believe you've been Prime Minister for a day. Well, actually, Peter, thank you for welcoming me back. I've seen two monarchs, three prime ministers while I was away, and I think uh, two chancellors and two or three foreign secretaries. So quite an interesting time, I would say. Yes, so you you did a good job while you were there then. Well done. (laughs) Also with us is Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natixis. Morning, Alicia. Good morning. And over in Washington, D.C., I think you already heard him chuckling away there. Barry Ward, our international economics correspondent. <laughs> I can't Barry. help it. Stuart, you should have stayed there for that chancellor's job. <laughs> yeah, well, it could have been another prime minister if I'd stayed for much longer. <laughs> well, as well as volatile financial markets in the U.K., we've got them here um, as well. It was another very volatile day yesterday following that 6.5% collapse in the Hang Seng uh, on Monday. Um, Stuart, let me start with you. There's been a bit of an epic sell-off in Chinese assets, far worse um, than what we've seen in other um, sort of world markets. But what do you make of this? Is this a bit of an extreme uh, reaction? No, not really. Um, I think it's more or less to be expected, Um, although it was pretty well flagged that Xi Jinping would get a third term and he would change his, um, his leadership. The new team, as it were, for the Politburo, has included a few names that were not familiar to other people in the market. And, um, and, and what's happened is that people have, have got the bite of uncertainty, once again, as far as China is concerned. And as we all know, uh, any form of uncertainty generally leads to a sell-off among investors. Um, I think that we, what we have to recognize with the new um, team, new Politburo and, um, and, and other of the leaders, there are a number of um, unknown names, there are a number of people who are going to take over new jobs, so the head of the PBOC, the head of the CSRC are to be changed, and that could lead to a short period, whether that's a, a couple of months or longer, of... Um, uh, of them bedding in and getting to understand what their new job will be, and then probably inaction as well. Um, and, and, and that doesn't sit well with, with stock markets. So I think for a short while we're going to see a little bit more of this uncertainty. Um, and as you've reported already, uh, the national team were out there buying. Um, but I was hearing yesterday, um, and, uh, and um, well, it's Monday as well, um, from some people from mainland uh, that uh, fund managers in the mainland, whether they be um, institutions or sovereign wealth funds, they're a bit confused as to what's going on outside, why the rest of the world um, isn't um, sort of embracing China's changes. And I think this is a, this is a symptom of their lack of what's going on in the rest of the world and, and the rest of the world's opinions. You know, if, if they were a bit more uh, of a, um, informed about what was going on, I think they'd be better placed to, to handle these changes. Um, and, and, and clearly, that is not the case at the moment. Mm. Alicia, what do you make of this new team and particularly the economic lineup? I know, as Stuart said, there are some new names there. But nevertheless, it is quite a competent team, isn't it? I mean, if you take... Uh, New Premier Lee, he, he's, you know, he's regarded as being a very capable pro-market, pro-growth politician. He's run some very big provi- uh, provincial economies um, over the years. So presumably it's just a question of time, isn't it? What do you think? 
Well, I frankly think that I don't understand why the market is surprised because the team is not so relevant. You know, I mean, if the market wanted to thumb uh, down uh, what was going on in China, they should have done that before because the whole point is that we were going to have thir- a third term. Mm-hmm. And just by having a third term, we're going to have the same team because this is literally, uh, you know, a highly concentrated team. And on that, you know, for that matter, I, I just don't think, frankly speaking, that the reaction is about the team only. Although, I, of course, we're all here. It's not technocrats. And, and I agree with you. Maybe there are technocrats. But if, I think the reaction is more, isn't it too dangerous not to have different views? rather than how technocrat or, or the lack thereof. Um, yeah, but I so think, Elise, one of the things that uh, needs to be understood is that many of the global investors uh, who are heavily invested in emerging markets have already sold their China holdings. The proportion that world um, investment markets are holding of China is quite a lot lower than it used to be. So mm-hmm. the, those that are selling now are probably the ones that um, should have done so before and didn't think about it. Well, I mean, I, I would argue that if you look at inflows, there's, there were still inflows into the equity market, actually, until the very last minute. Yep. Uh, the, the bond market, you're absolutely right. They've, they've, been, um, they've been exiting for quite some time, but mainly because of the interest differential and the depreciation of the renminbi. Because if not, you should have seen outflows from, you know, everywhere. And yep. we still have big houses, yeah, BlackRock, Bridgewater. Bridgewater. I mean, they, they're actually, I think, I, if I am not mistaken, JP, one more, which I can't remember, did actually double down on, on their long China story after the, the party congress. So, you know, it, I, I think opinions are very diverse about whether it makes sense to have more concentration of power. In a way, maybe because the world is so uncertain and, you know, justifiable that you may want to have a strong China given the uncertainties. I mean, there's stories for everybody. But, of course, the average, you're right, people are selling off, especially after the party congress. That's clear. Harry, when you look at um, this from the uh, from the U.S. perspective, you heard um, over the weekend President Xi's um, speech, a lot of talk about uh, security, about self-sufficiency. Um, it didn't seem to sound too great for the future of um, U.S.-China relations, but what, what's been the reaction Correct. over there? Correct. Well, look, I've, I've tried to monitor very closely what the China watchers have been saying on financial television on the four different channels that we have, as well as in the major papers. And uh, here, here's what I would conclude. Uh, people think that common prosperity is everything. There's a new social contract, a paradigm shift in China. There's going to be much lower growth, obviously no uh, real fancy for international foreign direct investment coming into China. Uh, people are scared uh, on the outside about investing in China. So uh, a lot of pessimism and very little optimism. Mm. And, of course, President Biden, um, I would say, if anything, he's taking an even tougher stance against China than Donald Trump did. Absolutely. Look at the semiconductors. I mean, we'll have to see how this plays out. But it was a very strong blow that was uh, aimed with great care. This has been under discussion, certainly, within the United States government for a year. 
And here it is. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, no, it's it's uh, you're right, Peter. It's a much tougher line. It's ironic to say that it's a much tougher line from President Biden than from President Trump. Mm. Stuart, what did you make of the focus on common prosperity? President Xi's saying we're going to strictly regulate the accumulation of wealth. I, th- I think that's positive. I know that probably sounds a bit uh, wrong to be saying it in, a, in our capitalist environment, but I think it's a positive because um, very clearly there was a massive disparity of wealth in China and there were uh, the many billionaires that had created a, a fortune over a relatively short period of time. And, and the intention is that there should be a broader spread of wealth around China. And we know there's a lot of wealth in China. It just isn't well spread. And I think that's going to be one of the objectives that Xi Jinping is setting for his team. Mm. Alicia, common prosperity is written into the Constitution now, isn't it? So clearly there is going to be, that's going to be a target. But do you see this as really a continuation of economic policies that we've already been seeing? Or are you expecting a change of direction in some way? Um, no, I think it's a continuation because we've also been, um, I mean, Xi Jinping before the party congress already clarified that he has no intention to set up, a, I think he even said, inefficient European-type welfare state. So that's not the direction. I mean, it's not about uh, rule of law type or, you know, automatic type uh, distribution of, uh, of wealth or income. I think it's more... A centralized power to basically resort to that specific power to then make sure that those that are going beyond what would be a natural uh, uh, wealth um, accumulation come back and rein in their efforts. You see what I mean? So I think it's more like a centralized, centralized adjustment of excessive wealth, which is not the same as a welfare state. So this, I would say, redistribution, but with Chinese characteristics. It's mm. not what probably many Western analysts have in mind. But have you seen any sign that um, the, the leadership is, is dealing with the, some of the deep-seated economic problems that China has? Because it does have some, doesn't it? And they really, in this, in this third term, they've really uh, got to be addressed. And maybe uh, there may be the need even for a new type of economic model. Yeah, I mean, they, they are trying. It's just that, as you said, they are deep-seated and very hard to handle. I mean, the population growth is only sinking further after COVID, and that's a major blow. And then, of course, um, uh, the share of the private sector is sinking. You have more civil servants. They're not necessarily more productive. You know, there's lots of things that would need to be redressed, but they come with a risk. Yeah, and the question is, Will the government, will the new team, as you said, be you know be willing to take that risk in the light of what is perceived to be a very aggressive external environment? It's not easy. It's not easy to see that, in my opinion. Barry, in the markets, as well as the, the roller coaster ride we're having in stocks, the other big feature at the moment of financial markets, of course, is the strong dollar, which is really hurting um, Asian currencies. We've had offshore yuan uh, slump to a new record low. The Japanese yen is at a 32-year low. The Bank of Japan intervening uh, again to try and support it. They were claiming yesterday that they had the Fed's help uh, to to do that, although Janet Janet Yellen denied that. This is really um, a problem here. How big an issue is it uh, over there? 
is becoming a bigger issue, Peter, because uh, it is hurting American exporters. And let's not forget that uh, many of the uh, American tech sector uh, makes more money abroad than they do in the United States. Uh, those profits are coming back uh, uh, worth less money. I, I think it is becoming a problem. It is clear that there is no G7 cooperation on currencies. There's nothing approaching a 1985 plaza agreement, or at least we don't know about it, and I think we would know about it. So it is a factor, but look, the dollar has been down the last three sessions, as you mentioned. Maybe that's the beginning of a trend. Maybe there's something we don't know about going down, but it is worrisome. If, if the dollar continued its strength, um, and obviously we've got the Fed meeting coming up soon, if that caused another spurt in the dollar, do you think the Fed will get to a point at which it would want to intervene or the Treasury would want to intervene, maybe in a coordinated manner with other central banks to try and reverse this strength of the dollar? I think it uh, makes a lot of sense what you've just said. But I think that uh, Janet Yellen, and by that, that we really mean the Biden administration, is not really attuned to that, which is somewhat ironic because mm. I think the Europeans would be very susceptible to that kind of approach. The, the British would be, and the, certainly the Canadians and the, and the Japanese. So uh, nonetheless, I think that um, we won't see any change in policy in the United States until after the election, whether we know that... President Biden is going to be weakened or strengthened from these midterm elections, which are now just two weeks away. Yeah, but I think, Barry, one of the big issues here is that uh, interest rates are being used uh, as, a, uh, as a means to fight inflation. Inflation is, is beginning to become rampant all over the world, um, not least the U.S. and Europe and the U.K. So, so it is inevitable that interest rates are going up. A part of the problem with um, both the Asian economies and also UK and, and Europe has been that they didn't put interest rates up quickly enough by, and buy enough. Um, and, and the US got ahead of all of that. And that's why vast amounts of money went into the US dollar rather than uh, stay in, 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 in those other currencies. And um, that, that's put uh, Europe, the UK and parts of Asia uh, especially Japan, on the back foot quite a lot. Quite um, right. And if uh, the Fed, as expected, raises rates by another 75 basis points in seven days' time, then yep. probably that's going to strengthen the dollar further. Exactly. And, 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 the, and the talk is that maybe next week, which is when uh, I think the Bank of England are due to announce, they could put, put uh, sterling up by 1%. Well, you know, then, then the race becomes about who puts the highest rate on. Um, and, and that's going to be quite a, a penalty. Uh, but, of course, everyone is trying to fight inflation. Um, and inflation is being um, fostered, I suppose, by the high levels of oil prices. But interestingly, um, gas prices, uh, that's not petrol, or, or, but it's the natural gas prices, have begun to start coming down quite a bit. Mm. So maybe we're starting to see the end of this um, energy crisis, that, uh, which has fueled inflation. Alicia, I want to get your thoughts on the, um, the third quarter GDP figures that we had out of the mainland. We saw better than expected 3.9% growth, although yeah. on an annual basis is about, uh, about 3%. Um, what do you make yeah. of that? Because we then got some very mixed data, didn't yeah. we, for September? We, we were right on point, I have to say. We had 38 and, and I don't think that's necessarily very positive. I think the market was slightly 
cut to negative. And the reason is simple too. September was horrible last year because of the energy crunch. So there was a big base effect. And secondly, opening up. And if you look at mobility indicators in China, they, they were clearly better in the third quarter. So it's very surprising. So the question is what next? Yeah, I mean, we need to see how China is going to grow next year because exports, which is the other data we got, are indeed coming down. That was China's most important engine of growth. Uh, yeah, external demand, indeed. Okay. And um, finally, Stuart, let me get your thoughts on the on the UK. There's a, a new prime minister, the third one in a, in a couple of months. Yes. Um, he says that uh, the UK is facing an economic crisis. Did you get the feeling when you were there that things were pretty chaotic and, and the economy is in crisis? And maybe for a while, even the financial markets there were in crisis, weren't they? Is that over now? Um, I think it was all pretty much exaggerated by the media, not to be unexpected, I suppose. Um, at, at the domestic level, it, um, you, you wouldn't necessarily get the view that there was a crisis going on. Of course, there was a, a, um, a lot of turmoil in the financial markets. Um, there were mistakes made, as we've now seen very publicly acknowledged, and, and they had to sort of U-turn on everything. Uh, media love u-turns by the politicians because it makes for great headlines <laughs> and so that that sort of got hammered home rather um but uh, the other thing i did see and i, I and I, I do make the point of course that sterling has dropped a lot um in value and what i did see was a lot of tourists in in london again um spending money enjoying cheaper economy, going to theatre or restaurants. Everything is open, as you know, um, so that, you know and, and almost no one wears a mask any longer. Um, and, and so I think the, um, the, you know, the benefit of the, the lower sterling has been to bring back tourism and bring it back quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a big positive. Um, but, yes, the, the, there is a absolute crying out need for there to be a, um, some stability brought back to the market the, and, and understanding where um, mm. the, the UK is intending to go. And that will be announced almost certainly next week um, or, or for Halloween, perhaps. Mm. And, and maybe we'll see the way forward from that. And, and hopefully okay. that will calm down the markets a bit. Barry, I just wanted to get a quiet final quick thought from you on the UK. It seems here that the, what we've seen happen in the UK is also a warning um, for other governments, including the US. In, interest rates are no longer zero. So if you try to explode your budget deficit with unfunded tax cuts that rely on a lot of government bond borrowing, the financial markets these days are, are going to punish you, aren't they? And that includes even big countries like the US, I would have thought. Absolutely. But Janet Yellen and President Biden have just hailed the fact that the United States fiscal deficit has come down by a record amount. And uh, that may be true, but we've still got a huge fiscal deficit. So I agree with you. And I know that Janet Yellen is very closely monitoring the Treasury market here to see if what happened in Britain might come here. OK, well, thank you all very much. That was Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C. You also heard Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia-Pacific at Natixis, and Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3.
take another look at the markets this morning. Um, pretty stable around Australia. The SX200 up about a third of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan has rebounded 0.9%. The Cosby in South Korea up about 0.4%. Still looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat is coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, fine and dry during the day, maximum temperature of about 27 degrees, going to remain fine and dry for the rest of the week. There is a red fire danger warning uh, in force. It's 23 degrees, 65% relative humidity. The time's 8.31. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. The Chinese university has said in a statement that it's officially reverting to its old emblem. The announcement follows a council meeting last night prompted by a backlash against plans to introduce a new emblem which abandoned a long-standing split-color design. The proposed new emblem was posted on the university's website earlier this week as part of a brand refresh. Britain's new prime minister has already run into controversy with one of his key appointments to cabinet. Swella Braverman resigned as Home Secretary last week after admitting she broke ministerial rules on security. However, Rishi Sunak has now given the job back to her, prompting the Labour opposition to say he'd put his party before the country. But former Cabinet Minister Damien Green says he believes the new lineup points to Mr Sunak uniting the Conservative Party. There are figures in this administration on the right of the party like Suella. There are others like Gillian Keegan, the new education secretary, uh, whose appointment I hugely welcome. She'll do that very well. And also there are figures who were very close to Liz Truss, like Therese Coffey. So I think all parts of the party will feel satisfied that their voices are represented in the new cabinet. A court in Russia has upheld the prison sentence of the U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner for drug smuggling. The decision clears the way for her to serve nine years in a penal colony. The White House said it would continue to engage with Moscow to bring her home. A U.S. diplomat, Elizabeth Rood, sharply criticized the ruling. Today was another sad day for the rule of law in the Russian Federation. In the case of U.S. citizen Brittany Griner, the appeals court made a slight reduction in her sentence for time served in pretrial detention, but otherwise did not change the excessive and disproportionate sentence of nine years in a penal colony. Greiner was sentenced in August for possessing vape cartridges containing a small quantity of cannabis oil after she was arrested at a Moscow airport in February. She testified that she had permission from a U.S. doctor to use medicinal cannabis for pain relief. The use of medical marijuana is prohibited in Russia. The latest earnings figures from Google's parent company have disappointed Wall Street. Alphabet reported revenue for the last quarter of just over 69 billion U.S. dollars, up by 6% on the same period last year. But that's lower than previous quarters, and advertising revenue at Google rose by only 2%. Analysts say the rate of advertising growth is slowing as repeated U.S. interest rate rises take effect. Shares in Alphabet slipped by over 5% in after-hours trading. You're listening to the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're looking at the chief executive's plan to boost Hong Kong's development capacity by speeding up the construction of transport infrastructure. 
This will cover three major road and three strategic railway projects that had earlier been recommended in the government's strategic study on railways and major roads beyond 2030. John Lee says the projects, which include the Northern Metropolis Highway, Changquan O Rail Line Extension and the Shatin Bypass, will bring about a highly interconnected and accessible road network and rail system. 